everybody. Welcome to episode two of the World's Okayest Entrepreneur. I'm Larissa Loden, and in a second, I'll be joined by my co-host, Andrew Vamha. In today's episode, I'm actually going to be interviewing Andrew. We're going to get to know him a bit better and where he's currently at with his business, Wham Industries. The goal of this podcast is to help you, the entrepreneur, feel seen and not alone, as entrepreneurship is often a lonely journey. And with that, I think that we'll all be able to relate to the story that Andrew's going to share with us today. I always think it's really important to go back to the beginning. I think our childhoods are so formative into who we become. And because of that, I'm curious if you have a moment in your childhood that you feel like was one of those moments that started and formed you and who you are today as a human being. Yes. It's funny. I was thinking about this a little bit. What informed who I am? One of the things I think about is from an early age, if you were to ask four or five-year-old Andrew, what are you going to be when you grow up? I would say to everybody for my entire life um, until high school, basically for a moment in high school, I would say, I'm going to be an artist. And that is what, that's like what I said. That was hundred percent what I was going to do. And I think a lot of that had to do with my grandpa was was very artistic. He would show me with just whittle sticks and he would show me how just like the simple meditative task of whittling the end of a stick can also turn into something. That stick turns into a snake. That stick turns into an arrow. All of a sudden it turns into a face. And then he would show me painting and things like that. So my understanding for the longest time of art was just like this creation of like interpreting the world or looking at nature and then writing it down or not writing it down, but making a copy of it. And so oftentimes when I would spend time with my grandpa, I would go there in the summers for a couple of weeks and we'd just spend the entire time taking walks and observing nature. And then he'd show me things in his telescope as well as his uh, microscope. He'd show me like the things you're seeing on the surface are much different when you take a closer look or things are different than just the sky until you take a closer look. So take a closer look, then see what it looks like because not everything is what it looks like from the get-go. I think that really formulated this creative side of me that that just kind of followed me throughout my entire life. So I remember this moment in time in kindergarten, we were supposed to just make a card for the principal for his birthday. Such a funny, <laughs> looking bad, it was such a funny assignment for these five-year-olds to make these cards. But we had given a tour of the school. And what I remember the most was going to the principal's office and he had this collection of Smurfs. There was like a hundred of them on this shelf in his office, which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And so I remembered that because I never watched Smurfs or anything like that, but I saw, I remember the figurines. And so when I made this card for him, I made a drawing because that's the only way I knew how to really communicate because this is before I could spell or do anything like that. And, you know, some kids were given like, you can just color in these lines. And I was like, no, I took the sheet of paper that was, we were supposed to color in this dinosaur or a house. I think there was like, I remember dinosaurs and houses. And I remember just taking the sheet of paper and flipping it over. And I just started drawing the principal in his office from memory. I just rem had remembered that he had this these Smurfs and I made this shelf, I made his desk, and then I made a picture of him. And there was these trophies as well. So on this thing, there was these trophies. I just kept going through every little detail that I could remember in my brain and then drawing it within this drawing as a five-year-old. And then everyone got these the, you know, they sent it off to him. And then probably a week later, my teacher calls me up to her desk. And so I'm a kindergartner. Everything freaks me out. And to back up, so my birthday is, was the first day of school 
in kindergarten. So my first day of school was also my birthday. So all the attention was on me, which felt so weird because I was already just nervous to be there. And I ended up getting a birthday. They asked me, do you want a high five, a birthday high five or a birthday spanking? This could never be done today. And I just panicked and I said spanking. So I got... <laughs> no. So the teacher, I turned it to six and the teacher pretended to bend me over her lap and on her own hands, give me six spankings, right? In front of the class. I was mortified and be like, okay, this is weird. But then, so to zoom out, zoom back to this thing, this, the, after drawing this thing for this person, teacher calls me up to her desk and it's like, the principal wants to see you. And so knowing what the principal was all about and seeing other kids go to the principal's office and things like that, I, I got nervous. And she goes, don't be afraid, because I'm sure I looked horrified as this yeah. tiny little six-year-old kid. Um, she's like, he wants to give you something. So she takes me up there, and this is so weird. She goes and gets a wheelchair, and she's, she says, do you want to go for a ride? And I was like, sure. And so she takes me on this wheelchair, like kind of runs with it, runs me down the hallways with it. And I'm like, okay, this is fun. And then we get to go through the elevator, which is not something you get to do because we always had to walk yep. down the stairs. And we get to his office and he presents me with this like this like excellent achievement award because I had made him this drawing and he had framed it and put it in his office. The thing that he said was like, this is so amazing to me that you, a six-year-old, from memory, essentially was able to draw my office basically down to where my desk was, where the shelf was, where the window was, and these Smurfs and how you had so many you had basically accounted for almost all the Smurfs that were there. And I went back there when I graduated from high school and decided I was going to go to art school. I went back to the elementary school to see the principal because he was still the principal there. And he still had that drawing behind his desk with everything, with all of his awards. I just told him, I said, I'm, I'm going to art school. And he was like, that is amazing. He's like, I knew since you were a child that you were going to do something someday like that, something creative. And Throughout my entire life, I basically always was the one to step in and be like, oh, yeah, I'll draw that. Or, oh, yeah, I'll take on the class float. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll do the creative thing. So that's kind of how my life always was, was just, I was always towards this, like, creative bent to people were always kind of pushing me that in that direction. So through your entire schooling, was it always that you were like, I know I'm going to be an artist. I know I'm going to go to art school. Or was there ever a point in time where actually you then started to question that and think differently? Yeah, I questioned it probably my sophomore and junior year of school. I remember I took an assessment test as you start going into high school. And I remember looking at, this is so kind of messed up now to think about, but they, I remember being like, yeah, I'm going to be an artist. And I like, you know, went through the test and did the assessment. And they were like, well, if you're an artist, you're only going to make like $25,000 a year or maybe not. It's like not a good fit. And then I started just looking at, well, what other career paths would fit with my quote unquote personality? And there was like a surgeon, like you could be a surgeon because there's creativity in that you're building and things like that. And because probably one of my, because I had said one of my hobbies is doing woodworking with friends. They were like, well, tools, surgeon, orthopedic surgeon. So I, for a while thought I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon. So I did, went to classes and did the bio, did biology, chemistry, math. I struggled with math. But then to find out it was a little dyslexic, so it wasn't that's it wasn't that I was doing the equations wrong. It was that I was putting the wrong numbers in the wrong, like that the numbers were just different. But so I went down this path thinking for two years that I would graduate and be an orthopedic surgeon. And so I shadowed my dad at the hospital because my dad was 
a nurse anesthetist. And so I'd shadow my dad and we'd go and I'd watch the surgeons do their thing. And eventually the thing I realized was that although I know, knew that they were helping people, that everybody who came in was, was sick and that they weren't there for the first time. A lot of the stuff that was, they were being, that was being worked on with them was preventative. And they, I remember they would say, the doctor would say, like, yeah, this is the second time this person's been in to have this hip replaced because I told them they had to either do the PT or lose the weight and they didn't. So now it's shot again. And the more conversations I had with my dad and, and the surgeons that I was shadowing, the more I realized that it was, it seemed pointless. Like, because if I couldn't just help the person fix themselves, I would feel so bad to just continue to do the surgery on them. At that moment, just like that was something that I've always struggled with is that if I can't fix the problem, then I don't want to even try to tackle the problem. And I think that that for me, I just couldn't do it. And it just, I couldn't, I was like, I don't think I can go down this career path. And then I started thinking about the creative thing again. And then a friend of mine was like, yeah, I'm going to art school. And I thought to myself, I was like, that's an option. You mm -hmm. could actually go to college for art. How, like, how does that, how do you make any money? They're like, well, you, you'll go to college and then you'll get a job and you'll start a career. It's the, it's how you start a career. You go to college. Whereas I thought you didn't go to college for artwork. So then exploring that and seeing what his experience, my friend Carl, what his experience was doing that, I was like, that's what I want. Mm -hmm. I want to do that. And so then I worked on heading down that path. And I think at the time that I made that decision, our school didn't have an art department. So I remember that year thinking seriously about moving to another school just so I could have an art department. But luckily, our school then re-upped their art department again for my junior year. Mm -hmm. Junior year, they re-upped the art department. And uh, I started taking art classes again. I, yeah, similarly have a similar lived experience of very much so those aptitude tests and where they're like, you can't do this. And right. I think it's so interesting when you're younger being told that you can't do something Instead of asking kind of like the question of not like that you can't, but how can you make this happen? Yeah. So I'm almost, I'm almost allergic to the, you can't do that. If I hear that, I'm always like, try me because yeah. my feeling is nothing is ever no, it's always how. Mm -hmm. And so I find that that's always been something that's pushed me is kind of like, no, but I'm an exception. Yeah. Which is, that's a good and bad mindset for, for many things. Why do you think it can be such of a, a bad, is it that it's bad or is it that it can motivate? Like, is there actually ever a point where it's just truly bad? I mean, I think oftentimes I'll get myself into a situation where I pile on too much to do. So this is where it becomes bad. I'll pile on too much to do and I'll overwhelm myself with the things that I need to do and maximize versus giving myself the space to do everything at a more comfortable pace, which has led to burnout over and over. But at the same time, I typically take responsibility for when I over overdo it. And then I just stay up late and do it. But I know it's like at the expense of my own health. So I, I think that's been something that's presented to me or my body has been telling me after basically after I turned to 30, I just couldn't do those all nighters anymore. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't work 24 hours a day. I couldn't do these benders like that. My body would start to break down. And for the first time, I was having back injuries. I was having shoulder injuries. And I was like, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I literally, I joke to people that on my 30th birthday, I jumped off of our deck just to like, no, like I would normally do. It was maybe 30 inches high. I remember hitting the ground and being like, oh, well, that feels different. Like that, that's not my normal spry self. I was yeah. like, what is that? 
It's like you instantly hit 30 and then all of a sudden the world was like, well, well, we have some lessons for you. Right. And a physical therapist I was talking to was like, yeah, you just, you realize when you hit 30 that some of those ligaments that you have just, there's an expiration date to them. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize that. I thought this is just, you stay healthy your entire life and no, you, you know, you're going to be fine. You can jump off that deck until you're 75, 80. No, it's apparently your bones harden and things wear out. So since you had that awareness, though, at 30, that all of a sudden you were like, I need to change things. What have been some of the things that you've changed in your day-to-day life to taking care of your physical and mental health? Like, has anything actually helped? I think that's one of our things. We hear so many things. Has anything actually helped you? Do you feel like that you've implemented and you're like, I've seen positive impact of this in my life and I'm going to keep on trying to do it or experiences or anything? I think daily exercise is something that I've felt really strongly about. It helps mentally to exert yourself, but also it just helps me keep keep nimble. Um, there was an older guy that worked with us at our first shop. I looked up to him. I was like, this is so amazing. And so I asked him one day, I said, what's a morning look like for Mark? I said, do you just get up and roll out of bed and come to work and get here at six? He's like, nope, I typically wake up around four, 4.30. I do some stretches. I drink coffee and read the newspaper for a couple hours. And then I come to work. And I was like, Okay. And I talked to him. I remember when he said, does his daily stretches as a Mm -hmm. 60 something year old. I was like, I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder why. And uh, it wasn't until I started experiencing some like stiffness and just not quite being snapping back in the morning. I was like, oh, a daily exercise routine actually does help you get ready for the day. Especially when you do physical work like I do. I, a lot of times in the shop, lifting heavy things, the stretching is important. Mm -hmm. And then also, I guess my routine also I've identified is two hours long in the morning. I get up. uh, Lately, I've been doing these cold showers, which have really helped just kind of give me that little bit of extra boost to get going in the morning. Now, I had started off by basically going in there with my phone, setting a timer for two minutes, clipping on the, the cold water and just like taking it. But now I go in after hearing a suggestion that you should start with extra hot and then move to extra cold and do that versus because... What you're doing is you're getting your body ready for for that experience. You're getting your blood moving. Because a friend of mine was like, don't forget that most heart attacks happen no, between, yeah, between the times of 5 a.m. and like 8 a.m. in the morning. And I was like, noted. And so when you shock your system, you know, it's not as good for your heart. So you're trying to get your heart, your blood moving first a little bit. So a lot of times I'll do like a quick stretch or I'll turn the hot water on and kind of get the blood flowing. I'm going to challenge that, like not challenge it, but like I have not, I feel like the way our news is and how popular cold plunging has become, oh, yeah. that if somebody actually had a heart attack because of cold plunging, that they would have been like, okay, y'all, like this is like something that we need to like step back from. But I don't think I've heard anything like that except just constant praise, yeah. you know? Yeah. To be honest, I never actually looked into the claim and I just, I was like, yeah, maybe that's a good idea and just moved on. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. It's a lot more comfortable also to start with something hot because sometimes I get out of the bed and I just don't want to do it. Knowing that if I'm being invited in by a warm shower and then then torturing myself with this like 50 degree shower afterwards for four minutes, then it's a lot easier to do. And sometimes that's not, that's the thing is sometimes it's hard for, for me to, I've noticed in the last couple of years, it's hard for me to get going sometimes with the project. So listening to the Huberman Labs, he talked about one of the best things about the cold shower or the cold plunge is that what you're doing in your brain is you're creating these these ruts that essentially tell you to get over this wall. You're basically saying like, I want to get out of this cold shower, but you're telling yourself, no, you have to stay in this cold shower until you're comfortable. 
And so that's where there's this sweet spot around a minute and a half where all of a sudden my body goes, this isn't, this isn't that bad. You're fine. That's when I noticed the best benefit is when I'm going through is typically I'll do two minutes, but today I noticed that I was still uncomfortable at two minutes or I hadn't quite hit that, like that peak moment where I was like, you're fine. And so when my alarm went off, I just hit repeat. And it was shortly after that, that I got the, the like, you're comfortable sitting in this. And then I just sat with it. I sat for that full next two minutes and then let it just let myself be comfortable in freezing cold water. And then I got out and my day just felt, it felt great. It felt right. Have you applied that in any other parts of your life or your business now of just kind of doing that timer and kind of setting you up to start to make those ruts and everything in your brain? Yeah. So for a little while, what I was doing is I was setting myself these like two hour limits. And then sometimes what I would do if I was really struggling, I would set myself these 15 minute increments within a two hour period to get this done in 15 minutes. The first 15 minutes was basically just figure out what my pace was on doing this repetitive work. And then the next 15 minutes was to see if I could push myself further on doing that because I do a lot of repetitive things. So to give you some context, a lot of times what I'm doing is I'm making hundreds of the same thing. So if I can say in 15 minutes, make 15 things, the next time I'd be like in that 15 minute increment, I want you to make 18 things. And so if I can get to that 18, that 18 mark, I don't, but if it, if I consistently hit 17 over those next 15 minute breaks, then I'm saying basically my peak is 17. And then that basically continues to motivate me to get things done because once you're in that that rhythm, you won't stop until it's done. Mm-hmm. So one thing that our audience probably doesn't know is that you recently have pretty much taken on all of the responsibilities of your company. And it's something that I thought was interesting because I was just with a friend who recently let go all of her employees. And she also, her and her husband then split all of the responsibilities of their company. And I actually have heard murmurings of this throughout the entire business community. It's like a lot of small businesses are looking where to kind of scale back and simplify because business is not great for a lot of small businesses right now. But through that process, you've had to take on a lot of things that maybe you weren't used to or anything like that. And because of that, you've had to try different ways of working and doing what used to be split between two people and is now one person. Is there anything you've done that you're like, this, this is working? Or is it like just like a day by day, like one day it's like a 10, like you're like, I could repeat this and this is great. And then other days you're like, this, the whole system's fucked. Like, I just can't. I feel like the feeling of confidence back and forth, it's an hourly ordeal, I feel like at this point. So I give you some context, Hannah, my wife, and I have been running this business together for 11 years. She's been there since the beginning. And just recently, over the last couple of years, she's talked about maybe, and we've both talked about maybe having her move out of Wham and into a, like follow her career. She's grown so much within our company and done so well running things that I was having a hard time seeing her sanding parts and being a laborer for our company, knowing the skills that she has, I wanted to see her live up to that full potential that she has and knowing how good she is at that. And she felt the same way. She's like, something just doesn't feel right. And so we were like, yeah, maybe we should explore having you get a job, You know, take this career to the next level. And she's done that. I'm so proud of her for that. I'm so proud of the seeing her go into that role. But the challenge that I am facing right now is, is trying to figure out what she did and how I'm going to do it better, not better, but how I'm going to be the one to do it. And I think that process has been odd. 
again, it's like an hourly. Sometimes I'm like one hour. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing it right now. Look at me answer that email. Like, look at me, look at me respond to things. But then at the same time, like, oh shit, like I need to make these things. Like I should be making those things and the structure is not there to like hand it off. Or, Or I think so oftentimes I've gotten so used to having her there to, so she'll be packing orders, she'll be answering emails and then she'll come in and she'll stand some parts for me. Like she'll just see that because our roles had shifted to the point where she was doing a lot of the admin stuff and I was doing a lot of the production stuff. So not understanding for me, having given that up for so long, the admin stuff, I'd kind of gotten out of the rhythm of how long that stuff takes. So it's taken some learning to figure out that I need to be scheduling out uh, on a single line versus a two track line. So we worked so well together. It was like having, it was, for me, it was almost like having five arms working at the same time because she was like three arms. She was so good at multitasking, but I am not. I am like a one track person. I sometimes need like the goal, finish, goal, finish. I go from box to box to box. So that's been a challenge. I feel like uh, I've been talking, I've had to like talk myself through this a little bit. And so part of the process of doing that was taking, was doing some coaching and something that got brought up in our, in one of my recent calls was that what I'm doing that's not working right now is I'm setting myself up for expectations that are that are unattainable because I'm in my brain is still telling me that I have Hannah there and that I can accomplish say these three projects today. But the reality is, if I'm going to also be the administrator and the producer of the products, I can maybe get three quarters of one project done that day because the because the stacking of the like getting your head in, basically splitting your brain between I'm in admin work versus I'm in production work is a lot more challenging than you think because it's there's two different brains there. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You said something and then you totally like really quickly like, oh, wait, what? So pretty much you said, I'm trying to make it better. And then you were like, well, she was doing it really great. But I think what's interesting is that how somebody's better works for them might not be your better. And I think that's really interesting in business. And that's like, part of the reason when you and I have always talked to or whatever is like what works for one person might not work for you. Right. And so I guess that's where it's like interesting to me is like, I'd be curious. And I think our audience would be curious too, is like, what is not working for you right now as you like retake on all of these pieces? Because I think it is this like farce when you like are running a business, like you're going to be great at it all or whatever, you know, like what's not working for you right now? I think what's not working for me right now is making the things. Mm -hmm. I think if I was, if I could find a way to move the production of things out of my responsibility, I feel like that would, that would help. If I knew what wasn't really working right now, that would be, that would fix so many problems in my life right now. (laughs) But I think that's one of them. One of them is, is I've been doing this for so long that, and I've been building these products for so long. I, I guess at the I'm trying to find a way to fall back in love with the products that I've made again because they are products that I've been making for 10 years. And I feel like because I've been in this maintenance mode, just making sure that we have the products in place and they need to ship to customers and we keep these products going, that'll keep me successful. I think that's what's not working right now is this mindset that the things I've been doing for the past 10 years have been working perfectly and the products that I've been making are perfect the way they are. And they maybe aren't, like maybe the fact that I've just been maintaining these products isn't working. Maybe what I need to do, and what one of these, revel- this is a revelation that came up in coaching recently was maybe I do need to step back from these products a little bit. Maybe I do need to 
find a way to move the manufacturing of some of the products I do still love to someone else so that I can focus on basically that quote unquote tinkering in my workspace again and being creative. And I haven't given myself that space for for years, really. I haven't just gone into my workshop and created. I've just gone out there to be like, okay, and now I have all these things to do. So it's I think that's been the hardest thing is as I've built this beautiful wood shop, but I when I go into it, I don't ever feel like I want to be creative. I go into it with this feeling of I'm going out there to work or like look at all these projects I have to get done before I can actually sit down and be creative. And I think that's what's not working is that mindset. And I'm working, that is something I'm actively working on right now, trying to figure out how do I, how do I make that change mentally? Does it feel selfish at all to almost try to say like, I'm going to create space, but I don't know what's going to come out of it? It does feel selfish. It feels selfish because I know that me taking the space, and I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say I know that taking the space will will financially impact our company. It may financially impact our company in the short term, but long term, that, that is short term thinking, but long term, it might actually be the thing that helps the company. And I think so oftentimes we get stuck on those timelines. Those like, well, what is it like? What are we going to do this month, this quarter, this year? I think so oftentimes we look at years and we're like, if you don't, if you're not profitable this year, or if you're not killing it this year, then you might as well just quit. You might as well stop, stop the company. But so oftentimes we forget that a year is just a year. It's just another measure of time. I think that, I think if I'm, to be honest, if when I look back, we didn't sell a lunch bag for the first two years. Yeah. We still made them. We still tried to sell them. And then basically after two years, they took off and they were our number one selling product for six years. So I think when you look at things so oftentimes within these these short-term time increments, you you get stuck. You get stuck by being like, well, look what I wasn't able to accomplish today, but look what you were able to accomplish today. I think that's the reframe is like, what were you able to accomplish with the time that you set out and then changing your your expectations on it? And I think, so the other aspect of why that feels selfish to me is because I worry about our customers. I feel bad for all the people if I said, well, I'm not going to have that in stock. I'm not going to have these grocery totes in stock, say. But, but I love the group. They, they would come to me and say, but I love the grocery totes, right? And I wouldn't want to disappoint anybody. I want them to be able to have their grocery tote. You know what I mean? I think that's the thing that I guess I worry them. One of the things I worry the most about is people saying, but your products are, products are so great. So why would you stop? Why would you take a break? Why wouldn't you just keep selling them? And I think that I probably could just take a break from it for a hot second because they're going to still be there when I get back. I think that's the thing is like, they would still be there when I get back or they may not, Mm -hmm. but what might come of that time that I've taken to tinker again and be creative Mm -hmm. might be something better than the things that people like already. I think that's the, that's what, that goes back to that faith question, like making a decision and having the faith that when you get done with that decision and when you go towards that path, that there's actually going to be a good outcome. Because I know deep down inside that whatever I've done in life has led to good outcomes. And even if it's like objectively not a good outcome, yeah. I still can reframe it to be like I learned. Yeah. And so I think that that's the path I'm on right now with our business is that we were, I was already feeling like this in 2019. We hired an employee to help take on part of the business and we were headed that direction. And then we kind of forgot about that tra- trajectory because in the right after that, COVID happened. Yeah. And then COVID didn't just go from being this thing we thought was going to be three months and yeah. came two and a half years plus. We just weren't at a place where we knew whether we wanted to keep doing this. We were having our like peak years 
like fortunately, but unfortunately, yeah. uh, we were having our peak years during COVID and we just got burnt out on it. And so then it, it caused this inflection point of like thinking about what we're doing. And I think had that momentum not been stopped, we maybe would have. Mm-hmm. I would have been in a role now today in a place where I was being more creative, but that's just not how it, how it worked out. Yeah, I think your story is actually really similar to I know what a lot of small businesses are currently going through, where it was actually for a lot of businesses, the pandemic years were really like good for them financially. And so now with the great reset, as I guess I'm going to call it today, (laughs) the great reset of 2023, where things are quote unquote back to like the 2019 time and everything like that. Do you think there's a reason why, like, as business owners, I th- I've heard that talked about so much of just, like, taking a moment for yourself, but is there a reason why we just cannot give ourselves permission to do that? I think because part of it is you feel like, one, is it, I feel like if I'm not working, I'm not making money, I'm mm-hmm. not fulfilling orders. The other part of me is that I'm going to miss an opportunity that comes along, and it inevitably happens. This is maybe a story I'm telling myself, but it always feels like that anecdotally, that when I say, you know, I'm going to take 10 days off or two weeks off. I did this a couple years ago. I took two weeks off to work on something and we just got slammed in those two weeks. We got slammed with like some of the best opportunities and we ended up just coming out of that two weeks and be like, we're still going to in the, like, we didn't just stop working for two weeks. We actually in that two weeks kind of put things into motion, but still kind of stayed stayed out of working. And I think it would be great if I felt like it was possible to literally just take two weeks off where I'm not even thinking about this thing, mm-hmm. where I'm able to just think about think about being more creative within the company. and Or not even, I guess that's the thing is not even thinking about the company, because I know inevitably I will, mm-hmm. but not fulfilling things within the company. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there is at all, I've been reflecting on this a little bit, do you think that there is something that like what you said are very real things, but it's like almost that if you had something else that was even more that you didn't want to risk, because I do agree with you that I think so much as entrepreneurs, we don't do the thing that we know is like the best for us, which is to take a break, to design, to create. You get so lost in the weeds and the motions and everything like that. And it was interesting to me um, because Mr. Beast of all people I don't know why I said that. He's actually like this super amazing person to study. Mr. Beast is a very famous YouTuber. And he did this thing with Eric, who is another famous YouTuber. And they did this thing that they were like, we are going to exercise every single day. And if we don't exercise, we're going to get a tattoo of the other person's face on your body. And I know you and I had this similar conversation with another artist where she was like, I only do stuff if I'm up against an event or something like that. And it was like, what if And I think that's interesting. Like, so it's like, we tell ourselves like, we can't do this, but what if there is something like a motivator that was like, if I don't take this break and give myself that two weeks, like this other thing could happen. And I 100% don't want that to happen to me. Like, you know, you create and design your own stories. So is there one thing that if you were like, I'm not making you like get a tattoo I may be stunned. (laughs) But I think it's interesting because it's like, it's an interesting thing of like, oftentimes we're like, we create this thing of like, I'm telling myself these stories if I can't. But you, your life is kind of like you construct it. And it's a kind of like, if you gamify your life in like a certain way, like you create these parameters and like this social structure and everything like that. But there was like, is there something else that you really actually would hate more? So that would make you not like 
to not take the two weeks. Like, so if we kind of said, like, if I didn't see in the next like three months, like that you scheduled time and you're like, got two weeks, I'm going to take two weeks off and I may come out of this with the next great product of my business. I might not. But if I don't take those two weeks off in the next 90 days, then I'm going to do this, Larissa and the whole entire audience that is listening right now. Maybe I should get a tattoo because I don't have any tattoos. Maybe I should get like a blue butterfly in my back or something so I can never get rid of it. <laughs> okay. Uh, to give context to everybody that is listening, I've been in the process of getting a blue butterfly tattooed off of my back. I am 12 to 15 laser appointments in. Blue is the, blue and green are the worst colors to try to get tattooed off of you. Lasers just don't respond to it. So yeah, you heard it here first. <laughs> Sorry if that was an overshare for you. Oh no, there's no overshares for me. None at all. Not that one. That's for sure. I'll just, oh my God, I'll just put a picture of it actually on social media. <laughs> this is where it started. This is how it's going. This is where it started. This is how it's going. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Do you think that would actually work for you in your business? And like, It's possible because I also feel that same feeling of like I work best under pressure. Mm -hmm. Like I sometimes work best when there's 110% of things to do instead of just like a comfortable 50. Yeah. You know, I think that's, uh, I, I love when... I love a good challenge. I love when somebody comes to me and, and, and is like, I need this super unattainable, unattainable thing in an unattainable amount of time. I'm like, yeah, let's get that done. Yeah. You know, like we can do that. Yeah. I was just like, it was curious because I think what you're talking about is so much what other people do. And it's just this, like this, like, for some reason, we have to get really zen with this idea of like, doing the good thing for us. But like, that's not true because people have accountability partners all the time and working out right. and everything like that. So what if it is that you then make an accountability? You do make an accountability because you need somebody to hold you to that. But it's truly something like you're like, well, Larissa, if I don't do this, then I'm going to have to then like go pay you or like something like yeah, that. Yeah. It's like that monitor. It's like I've the stakes are high. Yep. There's a website that actually does it now where like you can, you put money into this website and then they'll do something for you. It'll be like, what's the worst thing you want to do? And then you have an accountability partner, so either your husband or a friend or your wife or partner. And basically they keep you accountable and then they have to answer questions on this website for you of like, did you do that thing you said you were going to? Did you, did you stick to your diet? Did you stick to your workout regimen? And if you don't, they start giving like a certain amount of money to like, say, a fund that you don't yeah. respect, like a cause that you're like, I am not into that cause. But you say like, that's if that would hurt me if you gave money to them. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's something, it's something that I think is pretty, I think a lot of entrepreneurs fall into this category. Yeah. They have a hard time with that, keep, keeping themselves accountable because when you are your own boss, you don't have somebody that sits there and says like, you know, checks in with you. Yeah. Like you're checking in with you. And sometimes that's hard. Like sometimes it's hard to, to basically check in with yourself. And I was thinking about this recently. I was like, I'm going to sound like a person who, I'm going to sound like a crazy person talking about this this way. But like, I feel like, so on. I feel like sometimes I wish I had a name for my boss self that I could basically like <laughs> say to myself self, you know? Yeah. Hey, keep yourself accountable or where are you at with that thing? You know what I mean? Like almost separating out your personalities. Yeah. I've heard, also heard that it's important to remember to bring your shadow self along with you on yeah. your journey and everything like that. Like, I think it's to normalize and make friends with it because it's one of those things like we all have, yeah. especially as entrepreneurs, like you are not getting praised. Like if you do a good job today, no one 
no one is saying really great job today, especially when you're solo. Like for you, Andrew, like there is no one there. No one is fucking telling you at the end of the day, like you solid day. You crushed it. I crushed it. There is that. And I think that's, that is one of the harder things about being a solopreneur is that it, you don't have, you kind of don't have that bouncing off thing. And I do know that social, I think the social aspect of it is important for me. And I've always kind of negated that, but I know it's important for me now. That's what I'm learning since this, I've been going down this path for the last month and a half. Yeah, I very much so. And I was, I'd be curious to know kind of like you compared, because I think this happens so much for entrepreneurs is that when we start our businesses, you kind of have nothing. I've really reflected on this a lot. Like what is the difference between a 20 something entrepreneur and a 30 something entrepreneur? And there's truly like I would be curious, like, I just feel like if you agree with this statement and where you were, but like when you started Wham, like, what did you have? Was there anything that you were like, oh my God, if I start this, I'm going to lose this or anything like that? Or was it, it's only like net positive? It was a net positive because I didn't really have anything. I think the reason, one of the major reasons why I started the company was because I was living in New York. I had bought a CNC machine because after I got out of art school, I had created this drawing process while in art school with a CNC machine. I wanted to be an artist. So I started, I bought a CNC machine, scraped together the money for that, had no money, but made that possible, had a studio, made that possible in a situation where I was, could not make enough money to both have a studio and an apartment with a job I had in New York. What I thought was a good wage as a 23-year-old, I couldn't afford my rent for both my studio and my apartment. So I just opted, I opted out of the apartment and I said, well, I'm just going to sleep on my CNC machine and shower in the sink and then go to work during the day. And then I got tired of doing that for a while because that's not sustainable. <laughs> and I just said like, well, I don't think I'll ever be able to make enough money at this job in this city doing this and pay for my education. I think that's the other part that I kind of forgot about is that the apartment and the education were this cost the same amount of money. Student loan. So I was like, well, I have to pay the student loan because you can't just go default on that. And so I just took it into my own hands. I said, well, I'm going to control this. So I'm going to move back to Minnesota. I'm going to start the company in my parents' garage and then go from there and see where, where it goes. So I did that. And I didn't have anything to lose because I had nothing. Mm-hmm. I literally was, I was living in my studio, showering out of a sink. What's better motivation than that? Yeah. If I could just do more, do better than I did the month before. Mm-hmm. If it came to a point where you would have to shower out of the sink again, would you do it all over again? Like if I said today, if you're willing for one year to shower out of the sink and sleep on a CNC machine, but in 10 years, the net positive, because you're going to take all of that money and reinvest it in your business or whatever, like, would you do it? In a heartbeat. There's so many things that come of not having anything. It's that like inception quote. You have to go sometimes go deeper to go to get out. Mm-hmm. I think that's sometimes how I feel about this process that I'm in right now is like, well, maybe I just have to like pretend to quit so that I can, so I can basically, basically get this thing creative again for me, fall in love with it again. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's normal to fall out of love with something? Oh yeah. I went through a period at the beginning of our business when, when the business wasn't making enough money for me to make a living where I kind of fell out of love with our products. And then I fell back in love with them again after, after I started putting more time into them and more creativity and marketing. I fell in love with them again. And I think it's just that because I haven't made anything new in a while, because I haven't made anything new in a while, I feel like that's kind of pushed 
me into this feeling like I've fallen out of love with them because I feel like I'm just kind of maintaining them. Mm-hmm. And they are great. Let's let's be, they are great. I understand why they're great. But at the same time, they're great, but they're not great for the person making them sometimes. Yeah. It just feels that way. I think, I mean, I think that that's, the two things can be true at the same time is that you can know something is a great product and then it also literally be killing you at the same time as yeah. well. Like literally when you, like, do you honestly, like when I came here today, you were making crates and everything like that. Like, does it make you sad almost to be making them at this point in time? No, that part doesn't. Okay. I I love running the machine. It's still magic to me, <laughs> watching it make the things. And maybe that's the, maybe, I, mean, I guess that's kind of, we've already alluded to it. That's where I'm at in life is that maybe I don't necessarily like the act of doing the repetitive task, like that labor mm-hmm. that's attached to it. And you know what? Some people would say, well, that's work. That's just what you do. And I said, well, yes, it is. But there's also a part of me that knows that I'm an innovator, Yeah, that I, I need that. My soul needs to be creating those things. Like there's a reason why when I was a kid, I couldn't just mow the lawn every week. Like the next time it came to mowing the lawn, I was trying to innovate. I was I would throw rollerblades on to mow behind the lawnmower to see if I could go faster. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know that there's still this part of me that wants to make things better. So I even see the milk crate. I look at it when I'm working on it. I'm going, how could I make this better? How could I make this process better? And I think recently I came up with a, a way to make it better, a way to make it basically do the roundovers easier, a way to, th- I'm always, I'm always changing the process in it. And so you kind of peak at a certain point of like how much change you can actually make to one product. But I feel like I'm at a place now where I want to just kind of make something brand new. I want to build something brand new. Mm-hmm. And I would, lo- I would love it if these products still existed. Because I'd feel sad if I put that much time into it and then just kind of let them go to the wayside. Yeah. I think it's also interesting where you talked about, like, because I think this is a thing that a lot of people experience is, like, other people's advice of, like, when somebody says to you, well, that's just work. Right. I mean, how you define what work is to you. And I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting as an entrepreneur, especially, I mean, all advice is interesting, but like as an entrepreneur, getting advice, especially from people that don't run businesses, you know, because they chose something different than yourself. Do you think there is value in that? Or do you think it's actually like a disservice to you sometimes to like get feedback like that from people? It can be a disservice at times, for sure. I mean, it's it's also like a reality check. There's it. So again, it can be two things can be true at the same time. Can be true at the same time. It's a reality check, but it also can. It also maybe doesn't isn't the best advice because we all do have to to work, but we we have to enjoy kind of what we're doing a little bit, or at least I do. I know that I can't yeah. just blindly work, and I, that's something I've identified in myself. And I should I shouldn't let that go to the wayside because then if I do, then I then my mental health suffers. Then so why would I? go down that path of just saying, well, we'll get used to it. You know, everyone else does. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that's like entrepreneurs, builders, makers, that whenever I meet them, we're just wired differently than other people. Like I will never be a somebody that can just do a nine to five and like the door closes at the end of the day and I can't not think about it. Literally 2 a.m. this morning was thinking about it, woke up this morning to go work out and I was thinking about it and then was like, you know, and so I just think, do you, do you feel like our brains are wired differently than other people? Yes. Yes. I think there's, because I think about when I did have jobs, I couldn't help but just listen to podcasts about building products and building things. And I came up with a few different concepts for businesses I could start. And I really love doing that part of the process. 
But when it comes to just maintaining the thing that you've created or maintaining that, it's hard for me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know I struggle with that, that maintenance. Yeah. And so I'm trying to find it, I think in my life now moving forward with wherever I take Wham and wherever I take any business I start, I know that what I need to do is at a certain point identify where that point comes, where I, I know I need, becomes maintenance mode. And I need to be hiring for that maintenance mode mm-hmm. so that I can still stay creative and innovative within the, within the business because that's, that is my comfort zone. And I would even say comfort zone because comfort is a hard word. Mm-hmm. I need to be learning. I need to be innovating. And I think that that's something I need to, I need to identify moving forward. Yeah. I need to figure out how to be that person. Mm-hmm. Which is to lead me to my last question for us for today, because you are in such a pivotal point in your business right now where so much has changed within the past six months. Like so much has changed for you in the past six months. So looking out one year from now in the future, like what do you hope has happened? Like what what do you hope that has happened? And like, what do you hope that like a perfect day looks like for you? It's funny, this question gets asked in coaching a lot. Like, what do you want to create? And it's a good, it's a good question, but I always struggle with it a little bit. Why? I struggle with it because I oftentimes feel like um, I want to be like water, right? I just mm-hmm. want to go with the flow. Mm-hmm. I want to, f- I want the path to present itself in front of me and I want to be able to take that path. Mm-hmm. So it's new for me to say, I want to attain a goal and go towards it. Mm-hmm. And it's new to re-identify that position. And I think that's been part of this transition is that I had goals that I reached and I got to the top of that, to that goal, this goal of starting the business, having it run and having it run and building a shop on my property. That was like a goal and I got to it and I started to feel like the kid in the, the kid in the fort who's built the fort, yeah. realizing that building the fort was the fun part. And so now I'm trying to mm-hmm. figure out what is that next what is that next goal? Mm-hmm. And so I'm in that place right now where I'm trying to identify what that next goal is. So I think if I was to paint a perfect picture one year from now, I would be in a place where I've offloaded the labor of the products that I make now mm-hmm. to somebody else. And then I'm creating again, whether that is I'm drawing again, I'm exploring some of the artistic things I'm doing, mm-hmm. but also creating more products again. And that that is something that I have a team that supports me in that. I think a year from now, that would be, that'd be my ideal. Mm-hmm. What would a perfect week look like for you then? A perfect week. Is there such thing as a perfect week? Yeah. I will give you context and I'll give our audience context. I was asked these similar questions in coaching and I found them debilitating when they were asked of me. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting looking at you and noticing like I can just sense this like debilitation of it a little bit. It just feels like, so when you ask me like, is that even a thing? And it's interesting now because I've done the reps several times, I 100% know that in two years, I know what my perfect week looks like now. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I know 100% that what a perfect week would look like for me, but it was, it felt selfish or unobtainable at the moment to even say the words of what it would look like, like when the moment happened. But I think it's really interesting because until you get clear on what you want, it can't happen. Yeah. So I think that that's, that's really, when I was explaining to my coach what the perfect, like what I think it would, my perfect day would look, or not perfect day, but like what my perfect scenario would be. Mm-hmm. So I guess a perfect week for me would be a framework that included time for creativity. Mm-hmm. It included time for, for taking care of some of these things, but also allowed me some flexibility. So I guess I think that's the hardest thing is it's selfish to try to schedule in just 
the time that you need to create. And I don't think that's something I've been doing. I haven't, I was looking at a list I had made yesterday and it said like, schedule in time for you to answer your own questions that you have in your brain all the time. And so that is something that I know I'd like to add to my perfect week. I can't give you the perfect week because that's something I struggle with right now. Mm-hmm. But what I can say is part of that perfect week would be allowing myself the time and the space to answer my own questions, to not respond to somebody else's emails, to explore aimlessly. Mm-hmm. Because exploring aimlessly is what led me to start this company. Yeah, And I think so oftentimes we think we have to have a mission, but sometimes just being aimlessly, aimlessly creative is exactly what you need in order to get to the next spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know you're very goal-oriented. <laughs> so that you, I can see that you're like, wow, that's an uncomfortable thought, being aimlessly creative. I wasn't so much. I think it's more like what can be true for you is not true for me. And I think that's very much so okay. And I think that... What if the goal is aimlessness? I don't think that works for me. And that's okay if it works a little bit for you and it works, you know, and maybe like that's the fun part of us together is that we make a really great salad dressing is like you're a little bit of water and I'm a little (laughs) bit of oil. And then we just add some vinegar in there and like, bam, magic. You, the audience, are the vinegar. I don't know why. Maybe not. Maybe. No, you. essence good. I don't know. Like, yes. (laughs) Be like water. (laughs) Or oil. Yeah. Or oil. (laughs) Float on the surface. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the hard part is goals are so, goals are there and they do guide us. And I do, I think they guide us. I'm so literal. I think this is the thing. I'm so literal that I'll say like a goal and I'll be like, okay, in this timeline, make sure that goal gets done. It's like setting that timer. It's like, make sure you get those 15 things done in that 15 minutes. But I think having these loose goals, this loose goal of basically that I said was to basically like have a business that supported both my wife and I building a shop that's on our own property and getting to that goal was like this loose goal that just kind of over always existed as an umbrella. And what I didn't realize is how important that loose goal was. So creating these goals then, like the goal really is to, for me as a loose goal, is to find a structure for me within this business to be more creative. Yeah, And that is a goal that I should try to attain. Because I feel like that what that goal does is it it doesn't just build the fort that I sit in. It is the building of the fort. I'm literally making the goal continue to build the fort. I think that what you just said is really like what a lot of us as entrepreneurs really forget a lot in the process is that so often we're like, if I get the money, I'm going to buy the fancy car, get the really great house, and then all of my problems are solved. But I think in that process, you lose sight of what is the true happiness and like what brings you the true joy. And you forget to carve out time because you're so focused on what society has told you is the quick and easy solution to happiness, which is mm-hmm. things. And it's maybe not the things. It maybe is the process. And if you don't carve out time for you, the entrepreneur, in loving your process, that maybe that's like the biggest demise in the whole thing. Right. I would agree with that. Funny story to add to that. Yeah. Some of the best advice I got was from a seven-year-old. I was playing a video, or not a video game. I was playing a board game with them. Uh-huh. It was Farkle, where you just shake the dice. It's like a chance. Everything's a chance with Farkle, right? And she kept winning. And I didn't understand why, because she would, there was no strategy to it. I was like, what are you doing? Like, how are you doing this? She goes, Andrew, it's all about the journey. And I was like, that is very wise for a seven-year-old to say, it's all about the journey Mm -hmm. while playing Farkle. Yeah. So I think that is, that is the thing that you're talking about is it's about the process. It's about the journey. The only reason this is meaningful to us is because we're figuring it out on the way. It is a journey. Yeah. And I think that's 
that's something that I feel like every entrepreneur needs. Yeah, I think it is about figuring out the journey. Can I tell you what my perfect week is? Yeah, let's hear it. Because I think it may, I would be curious if it, one day is on podcast, mm-hmm. one day is spent on product development, one day is spent on content creation, and two days are actually wide open to do whatever I want to do of learning, reading books, you know, just kind of like truly whatever. And what is not in those days are meetings, emails, anything like that. Those things truly just drain me like nothing else I've realized. Some meetings I find valuable if I feel like my strategy and knowledge is needed, but it still also drains me a lot. So yeah. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, I think it was. And the only reason I thought I wanted to share it with you is to say like, I that's what I think is possible. If you start willing it and saying like, having two days where you're like, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen on these days. And that is possible. So that is essentially, that is a goal then. That is that aimless creativity. Yeah. That to me is like scheduling out that time for the aimless creativity. Mm-hmm. Because I so often tell Hannah, you know what I wish I could just do on the weekend sometimes is to wake up and go, I don't have a plan. Yeah. I just have today. And sometimes just falling down those rabbit holes of things that you're thinking about and just exploring them and then not feeling bad about it after you've done it. Mm-hmm. Because you feel like you should have been doing that other thing that you said you were going to do. Mm-hmm. So scheduling in that time to be free. Mm-hmm. Because that, I think, is what we all, as when we say we're going to become our own boss, that's the thing that we say we are going to have is freedom. Yeah. And so oftentimes what we do is we build boxes around ourselves and our businesses become our prisons yeah. instead of the ticket to freedom. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So yeah. There you go. In one year, ticket to freedom. Here ticket you come. Freedom. Awesome. All right. And that's the episode. <laughs> so thank you everybody for listening to the second episode of the world's okay entrepreneur i hope that from listening to this episode maybe you are starting to feel a little bit seen and that it is okay to just be okay and that it is a process and you can be a little bit like water and oil please make sure that you're following us on tiktok and instagram if you're on instagram please make sure that our dog videos get more likes because they're getting a ton of likes on tiktok but not on instagram and if you think that andrew should get a blue butterfly tattoo please do let us know send us an email at hello at the worldsokspod.com we would love to hear this we also now are teeing up for upcoming episodes. We have two special guests lined up and we'll be talking a little about some more business things. But if there is a topic that you would love us to discuss here on the podcast, please email us as well at hello at the worldsokspod.com. And yeah, thank you so much for listening to our second episode. We are so excited for what's to come. Bye. Bye.